Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to reintroduce to you now. Laura Spath is a returning guest on our show. Be sure to check out her first appearance on episode 169 of Boundless Body Radio, which is one of our favorite episodes. When a serious health scare inspired her husband Chris to take ownership of his health, he decided to try the carnivore diet, and soon after, Laura joined him. Laura and her husband ended up losing a combined 250 pounds, wow, due to their joint adoption of this unconventional diet. After years of yo-yo dieting and struggling with their weight, these two were able to turn the tides. Today, they share their inspirational story with us and let us know how they achieved such remarkable weight loss. Their kiddos also eat a clean, whole foods diet, and from the looks of it, seem to be thriving and enjoying it. Laura and Chris focus on feeding their children high-protein meals and keeping grains, sugars, and seed oils out of their diet. Laura also hosts the Cutting Against the Grain podcast with her friend and best-selling author, Judy Cho. You can find Laura on Instagram at Laura E. Spath. Laura Spath, what an honor it is to welcome you back to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's great to be here again. Absolutely. Great to have you back. I love your Instagram. I get so confused by Instagram. I still haven't hired that 14-year-old girl to like run my account for me. Um, but but besides NHL and besides like Formula One videos, which I love, you're like my favorite part of, of Instagram. I love seeing your cute little family and all your adventures and your travels everywhere. It's really fantastic. Well, thank you so much. I kind of feel like I don't really know what I'm doing there either. So I'm glad that it's connecting with you. I feel like I missed the memo on how to do all the lip syncing TikTok videos and I just can't even begin to learn that. So I'm glad that it's still connecting with people, even though I haven't picked up on the, a lot of those uh, trends. That's funny. I wonder if we're past like the age threshold for TikTok at this point. Yeah, I wonder. I know that it seems to be like where all the action is happening, but I just can't add one more thing uh, to my life right now. <laughs> totally, <laughs> totally. I just had my wife educate me yesterday on the difference between a story and a reel, and I didn't know like where the two things like ended up, and like it can be a little bit confusing. But the fun thing about the whole thing is like you just get to try a bunch of stuff and just do it for fun and see what what works and what you like, and it's yeah, that way it's pretty fun. Yeah, definitely. It's I, I enjoy it, and it's like. To me, there's no pressure to put up content. Like when I have an idea or I have something going on, I put it up. And then if I don't, like sometimes it goes dark for a while, just if I have other things in my real life going on. So it's good that it's there when I have something that's interesting, hopefully. Yeah, totally. Well, you're in a very unique position, which I absolutely love. And and you said it like going back to your real life, like you have other things besides nutrition that you talk about. You have a different job. You've got your family with, with all of these different things. You've still been able to make nutrition a priority and you still put content out there and try to help people along with that. So why has that been a priority for you? I think a lot of the reason why I put out content is because it keeps me accountable myself on like sticking with this. And, and, you know, it's helpful for me to, um, just be accountable to something, to a screen, like pictures don't lie and how our progress goes. And so if I'm taking pictures regularly, if I'm posting my meals, then I know that that's me being accountable. If I go for a few days or a week of like not posting anything, like, you know, there maybe is something going on or I'm not, you know, it's just in a lot of ways, it makes me be accountable to myself and to something, um, which is a lot of the reason why I put out content. But yeah, I, I mean, as far as like social media or even nutrition, it's kind of low on my priority list normally. You know, I have a normal corporate job that has me traveling a lot. I have a family when I am home, I'm making sure that they're my number one focus and that the kids are getting so much of my attention. So, um, 
I try to use, you know, social media for accountability purposes and then also just to share, but it definitely isn't like, I'm not a consistent person who's putting out regular YouTube videos. Like you kind of get what you get when it happens, um, based on, you know, when I have time to fit it into my life. Yeah, that's great. And in that way, you're able to make things be so practical. You're showing us the way that like, yeah, you might have a lot of other things going on and a job and travel and all this stuff, but you still can eat in a certain way that makes you really healthy. So I really love that. And I love that approach. And I, I love that you use that as an accountability piece for yourself. I think that's a great answer. Um, I do want to talk to you about the podcast that you do, Judy, which I absolutely love. But before we do, I think it'd be nice to kind of go back and kind of tell your story a little bit, remind our audience kind of how you got into the this world to begin with? Yeah, absolutely. So I have always been somebody who struggled with my weight. Um, I, you know, I was raised like on a farm and my mom made homemade bread every day and we grew our own vegetables. So it certainly wasn't, we ate a lot of casseroles. It was in the Midwest, like all those types of things, but I wasn't allowed to have like cookies or soda. Um, or, you know, we never went, we went out to eat like once a month, maybe drive to the next town to like go find pizza hut on that Sunday buffet or something back then. So it really wasn't a big thing for us to eat out. And then I, I went to college, uh, and moved in across the street from a Taco Bell and pretty much like lost my way at that point. Or I, even before then, my parents got divorced when I was 15 and we went, my mom went back to work for the first time. I started doing a lot of the cooking, which was a lot of the boxed hamburger helpers and the pasta ronies and, you know, eating, um, more, much more convenience foods. We moved into this little, you know, like a, the town, I guess that was nearby. And so that definitely, started on the process of like eating a lot more processed food, a lot of boxed packaged foods. Uh, and then once I went to college, you know, I definitely gained tons of weight. I, for then kind of the next 15 years or so, I would be really good at like going on a diet. I could lose 20 pounds, like losing 20 pounds was fairly effortless. If you're being super strict, I could be dedicated enough, I would say to lose 20 pounds, but then I would reward myself with some kind of cheat day and completely go off the rails and gain 30 pounds back. And so really just spent, you know, a decade yo-yoing up and down and up and down. Um, it obviously got worse. Like once I had kids and I lost a decent amount of weight after I had, I was, you know, 29 when, or 28, when I had my daughter, um, and I lost a decent amount of weight after her, I had gotten, you know, almost 250 pounds. And then I probably got down to like 180 or somewhere around there after I had my daughter, did that with some version of low carb. My husband was type two diabetic, uh, kind of at the time. And so we did lowish carb as best as we knew back then. Um, and then again, had a cheat day and over the next year gained, uh, probably another 80 pounds back, um, and got pregnant with my son, kept gaining weight really. And then I think after I had my son, I just really didn't have the didn't think I had the ability or the effort to lose weight again, like the second child, everything's so much more overwhelming, feeling overwhelmed. Like I have to do this all over again. Like I have to lose all, I already did this. I don't want to, I wanted, so I really didn't even put in any effort at that point to lose weight. When he was almost two, I weighed more than I did with him than when I went into labor with him. Wow. And I was like, we have a problem. You know, I had a lot of health issues at the time. I was seeing several different specialists. Um, you know, I was having gallbladder issues. I was having a lot of like intestine diet, you know, like I was seeing a colorectal specialist for potential hemorrhoid surgeries and really just a lot of hormone issues. I was having, you know, gyne gynecological visits regularly for yeast infections and 
all those fun things. But how are you doing emotionally through all this? Sorry to cut you off. I just, this is so heavy. I think that's it. Like I just felt like I couldn't. And I think for those first two years, you know, I had like a two and a half year old, I had a newborn and then just dealing with like toddler newborn phase. I was still working a full-time job at the time. Um, in the middle of all of that, you know, you mentioned the beginning, Chris's health scare, he contracted necrotizing fasciitis, which is a flesh eating bacteria. And he almost died. And I wish that we could say like, yeah, that was a motivation for us to get better, but it took like a year. It wasn't like this immediate thing of he goes into the hospital and almost dies from his diabetes. It was, I'm too tired to even think about it. And sometimes we get in this spiral of thinking that like, it's too hard to get skinnier or healthier. It's too hard to make better choices. I can't handle it from the day to day. But then the problem is, is that it ends up making our lives harder overall. And so we were kind of in this place where it was just really the hardest time. Chris's recovery, he, he stopped working at that point. So I was the only income I was working full time. I had a nine month old. I was still nursing. I had, um, a, you know, three-year-old, a sick husband, and just, it was really just kind of the most overwhelming time of my life. And the thought of like trying to add eating better on top of it, I just couldn't handle. And so it took us really a full another year after that before Chris felt like, you know, his pain management was under control, his, you know, we knew he was going to survive and all of those things. It, it wasn't until then when we really thought we could start putting in the effort to try to actually make healthier changes again. And, um, it just, ha- it just has to be a mindset shift. Like there's no way in there I could have ever changed my, you know, nobody could have convinced me otherwise. That's the hard part when we have people who we love, who we see suffering and we want them to change. Like we can't make them be ready before they're ready. Like I knew I was unhealthy. I knew I was extremely overweight. I knew all of those things were a problem. I didn't have the bandwidth emotionally to be able to tackle that in that moment. Like, even though it probably would have helped, you know, it's hard for a while, but then I would have felt better quicker. I would have had more energy quicker. Like all of those things would have been better faster had I actually put forth the effort up front, but sometimes you just can't, you can't get there until you're ready for that's it. Right. No, that's right. As a, you know, personal trainer and as a nutrition coach, that's the most frustrating thing is like people getting so close to their goals and, and you can tell like, you just need to do this one thing and you want it for them yeah. so bad, but you can't want that for other people. It, it has to come from within. Right. Yeah. They have to be ready for sure. Yeah, totally. So what, what was it that led you to low carb? You know, because when Chris was um, diagnosed with type two diabetes, we knew that obviously like cutting out grains and sugar was necessary. We had done low carb before. And so we, I mean, this was, you know, back in 2018. So keto was like the huge boom at the time. And so we really just jumped on the keto bandwagon um, and figured that was going to be what was making us successful. And so we started there and then Chris had heard about carnivore and we really just, he loved that idea because he didn't have to eat vegetables. And so he went down that pretty rapidly and it took me a little longer, um, before I was convinced. And it really was just the concept of like not eating a salad or lettuce and vegetables for a week. And then as soon as I tried to add them back in all of those digestive issues that I'd suffered with most of my life flared up again. And I didn't realize like how amazing I felt without having for the first time in my life, not having constipation or not. I mean, I won't just, I have a YouTube video where we literally just talk about like poop and hemorrhoids. And so uh, if people really want the graphic details, you can go listen to that. But I mean, just for the first time in my life, I wasn't 
having issues with those things um, was what finally convinced me completely. Wow. That's amazing. Whole carnivore. Yeah. yeah. Did you notice any difference in your mental clarity? Yeah. I, you know, there was over time, I think other things cleared up that I didn't realize were a problem too, like my acne, my skin issues, some joint pain from inflammation. And then also just, I was always a very high strung. I, I think I dealt with a lot of, you know, low key anxiety that I didn't really understand until I went full carnivore. And obviously I would always attribute it to like, my life is stressful. I have a lot of pressure on me. Like things are just crazy, but it wasn't until kind of eliminating all of those things and feeling more at peace in general that I realized how much I just had struggled with anxiety previously that, um, I didn't understand until it was lifted for sure. Yeah. That was my experience as well. I thought I was doing okay with that kind of stuff, but the yes. way that it up leveled when I fully went hundred percent carnivore within like a week or two was shocking to me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, oh, that's so interesting. Well, like I said, I love your podcast and, and the, the two of you play off each other so well. She's kind of like the, the scientist I think of, and you're the person that's out in the real world. This isn't your job. You're making this work practically. And so the two of you get to have discussions back and forth. How did you guys decide on the format of the podcast? You know, you do some interviews, but for the most part, it's just the two of you chatting about what's going on in the community. When did you decide that that was the format you wanted to do? I think, I mean, we were having a lot of those similar types of conversations offline where she would, I would call her and ask her about something different and she'd start explaining it to, and I'd be like, okay, hang on. You're explaining it. Like nutrition with Judy, I need you to explain it to, you know, me. Cause I'm uh, not into all the science stuff. And so that was a part of it. We were just really good friends and wanting to kind of like make sure that we were connecting on a regular basis in both of our busy lives. But I think that for me, it was realizing that there was a need in the community for something like that. There's, you know, there's a lot of interviews out there and everybody's having interviews. And it's a lot, there's sometimes in this space, we're looking for new information. And so we're looking for somebody to share something new, but a lot of it is just the same information. Like there's no meat, new meats being invented. And so rather than kind of cycling through the interviews, which other people do so well, and I, I'm, I'm not to say that we've, I felt like there was a need for more of a discussion of great, here's all this information. And it's always presented in this way of like, what's the most ideal, but I have a real crazy busy life. And like, I can't, my full-time job is not to just be healthy and to be a nutritionist and to do all these things. How can I incorporate these things into my normal life and still eat on a budget and travel and like actually eat outside my house occasionally. And I feel like we wanted to be able to make this lifestyle seem approachable and discuss nuance. Sometimes in an Instagram post, in a, in a YouTube video or in an interview, you, you talk about ideal, but there's often so much nuance within that, that we wanted to be able to discuss and hopefully bring, um, some varied perspectives on. Yeah, well, you absolutely do. And I love the format because of that. And, and it is unique. You don't see that out there very much. And so I absolutely love it. Nuance, I think, is a great word to use. And I think we'll, we'll uncover a lot of that in this discussion. I did want to talk about some of the topics that you guys have brought up. Um, you know, you've, you've laughed about a few things. You've cried about a few things. Like, it, it's so interesting to, to hear the two of you go back and forth, even when you, you know, agree or disagree on something. So, uh, you know, I, I'll just bring up a few topics and you can just tell me yeah. what your current thoughts are about them. The first would be somebody who wants to be a strict carnivore versus somebody who can be more of a moderate carnivore. How do you think of those two things? You know, I think I 
got a message the other day from somebody on Instagram and it was probably the kindest compliment anybody's ever given me. And she just said like, I've watched your content for the last several years. And I just want to say that, you know, the way that you present information now is so much different than how you did before. Like I can see how you've evolved. And I think that all that to say how I answer this question to you now is very different than how I would have answered it several years ago. I have a lot of posts on my Instagram that talk about how 99% carnivore is excruciating and or 90% carnivore is excruciating and going 100% carnivore doesn't just give you 10% more results was a quote I have used many, many times. And I've spent a lot of time in that mindset of like, hundred percent is the way to go. You have to be a hundred percent. And I think for people who are healing, who need elimination diets, who are trying to find trigger foods, who are trying to identify like, you know, all of their health issues. It's a very important. If you don't get to this baseline of going a hundred percent strict carnivore, then I think you can't understand a lot of those foods that are triggering you. And I think it's so important to spend the time there for a while. If I thought forever, my whole life, I couldn't eat in a restaurant because they might have something in the rub or, you know, the oils that they cook something in, or there might be a garnish on the plate that would like seep over. Or if I thought I could never, you know, enjoy going to a friend's house, not knowing every single thing that was cooked in what it is like, I stay carnivore, but there has to be a balance for me to make this sustainable forever. I'm not somebody who would be satisfied literally living on ground beef and eggs in my house forever. It, first of all, mentally, I couldn't keep it up. I can do anything for a certain period of time, but over time, I need more realistic options for me. And then also, I'm, I want, you know, I'm, I just wouldn't enjoy that from a mental standpoint. My life does not operate that way. I can't eat all of my meals at home. Uh, I can't pack all my food. I fly all over the country. I can't pack my food. Um, and so kind of all that to say, I think that being hundred percent strict for a time is extremely important. I am not somebody who can incorporate carbs and sugar. I will not, this is not me saying like I moderate cookies occasionally. Those things are hundred percent no's for me, but because I have so many things that are hundred percent no's, I have to have things that are more flexible that I'm more relaxed about, that I don't eat things that are like deep fried in seed oils. But if I go to a restaurant and my option is to eat something that might've been cooked on a griddle and there might've been an oil there, like that, I, I'm fine with that. For me, it's about frequency. It's about the amount of something. I do my best to intentionally pick restaurants that are avoiding those things. But let's be honest, the restaurants that are going to avoid those things 100% of the time are the very expensive restaurants. That's right. And that's also not realistic for me in my life. And so I think at this point, I am now, I have, I, you know, evolved in my health that I can handle this, first of all, and also evolved in my mindset where um, I have to do what's, like I have to do the best that I can. And rather than putting so much pressure on myself to be perfect all the time, right now I'm doing, making the best decisions that I can every day and, and still just focusing on one day at a time. That was a lot, that was a lot of answer, but just to say that 
uh, it's changed for sure. So thoughtful. I love that answer. I knew it was going to be somewhere in that direction. And that's what makes it so approachable and practical for people. So I absolutely love that. I think, you know, condiments are kind of the same thing. Like, yes. yeah, condiments have sugar. They're probably going to have seed oils. They're probably not going to be the best, but if it allows you to eat the meat that you really like, and it makes it more enjoyable, or it makes you eat more of it, what what's the problem? Like, like have a little bit of it, try to find one that, that has lower sugar, but that's not... That's not such a bit like a major percentage of your diet that is going to throw you totally off unless you absolutely have to be totally strict. Yeah. And I think that's why it is important to spend a time in that phrase. I think 2018 and 2019, I spent two years, literally like, I mean, I guess 2018 was probably the second half of the year because of when you started keto, but I spent like a good year and a half, like eating at home doing nothing else, like basically living on ribeyes and beef and super, super strict for those, for that time. Um, very limited spices, all that kind of good stuff. And then I think because of that pressure that I continue to put on myself, I really, really struggled in 2020. We were obviously dealing with what, with, you know, the whole world, I was home all the time. So you think that would be easier, but I just like, because I had so much pressure on myself to be perfect, I really struggled and I gained tons of weight and I just had such a hard time, like getting remotivated again. And I've spent most of 2021 and now 2022 focusing on consistency, you know, focusing on doing the best that I can. If I have some ranch from a restaurant, it is going to contain some kind of seed oil, but like Dang, I love some ranch from a restaurant sometimes. Um, I, I'm not a personal fan of barbecue sauce, but like my husband and kids eat the sugar-free barbecue sauce. And I think that's a great option for people who are struggling or transitioning. Um, and I think long-term, I the way that I was eating in 2018 and 2019, I could not have sustained that forever. And that was proven to me in 2020 when I really struggled and just gained tons of weight back. And I think that, you know, we need to identify very specific things that are causing us issues, but we also have to find like a realistic way to live this life forever. And for me, if that's putting pickles in a chicken salad, or if it's having some ranch from a restaurant occasionally, like I'm okay with that because I'm not eating cupcakes and I'm not eating actual pizza and I'm not having those foods. Like to me, that's, I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah, I love that. That's a fantastic answer. Right along those same lines, quality of meat. Do you have to have grass-fed, grass-finished, organic, pastured, whatever, everything? Does everything have to be the highest quality? Never. And honestly, I think that the grass-finished meat, like most of the time, I can't really even stomach it. The taste is grassy. It's just not my favorite. I have turned down any company who wants to send me meat. That's like all grass finished. I usually say no, or I say you can send it, but I'm not promising you that I like, I can't post about it if it tastes this way. Um, and so those things are very specific for me. I've never eaten organs. And I think like, I, we've done some very full episodes on this, but like I have cousins who raise cattle and they live in a very remote part of West Virginia. They can't sell their beef to local people in their area because there aren't local people in their area. And they all raise cows. Like they live in this very remote part. I live in Phoenix. There's not enough local farmers to feed all of Phoenix. When I'm shopping at Costco and when I'm shopping at the regular grocery store, I am supporting local farmers throughout the U S 
They're just not local to me. I am still getting really good quality meat. I think this vegan message of the factory farms and all of this craziness actually seeps over into our world where we are still being propagandized by some of that messaging. The fact that like cows are eating Skittles and pumped full of hormones for no reason, like none of this is true. And the meat that you can get from a regular grocery store is absolute quality. I buy pork from the regular grocery store and I get a lot of criticism for that because of PUFAs and some of the purists in the community who talk about how regular chicken and regular pork are what is making us fat. No, no. Pizza and Twinkies made me fat. Pints of ice cream every day made me fat. Eating regular pork and chicken from the grocery store is not my issue. And I think that's another one of those things where the cost gets too out of control and astronomical for people. The flavor is terrible. And the accessibility isn't there that people put so much pressure on themselves. I would be somebody who would just go back to eating spaghetti because that seems like a way more realistic option when now I'm doing amazing. And I think sometimes the message of eat what you can afford, eat what you like and eat what you can afford, I appreciate. But I also think that that message is giving the concession that it's not as good quality. And that's where I disagree. The meat from the regular grocery store is amazing quality. I Walmart Angus beef steaks are some of the best steaks that you can get. And I love them. And the quality is great. And the fat content and all of those things are amazing. And the flavor is great that I think, um, it's not about because I can afford it. It's also because it's amazing quality. And I think that we need to feel confident in that decision as well. That's such a great point. I love the way you talked about thinking about local, not necessarily I got this next door, but local, it's it's our country. It's, you know, yes. from the United States. It's maybe not, you know, every, you know, cow producer is producing meat all the time. And so that has to change and prices vary and things yeah. like that. But I agree, places like Costco and the local store has great quality meat, like some of the best I've ever had. And I, I, I love the idea of shopping local at a ranch. And I'm the same way for me. Like I, I can't stomach it. I cooked it every way that I know how yeah. marinated and smoked and, you know, in, in roasts and everything. I can't get it to taste good to the point that I would eat it. But anything I get at the store, I can get tri-tip for a few bucks a pound and it tastes amazing and great. I'm going to do that. That's a really good And point. I think, unfortunately, people give up. They message me desperate, like, I can't stomach. How do you make grass-finished meat taste good? I'm like, don't eat it. Or how do you afford eating all this organic? Don't eat it. Eat some regular eggs and eat some beef. And like, trust me, it tastes way better. Um, <laughs> you know, the... I think there's, you know, the myths have been busted about the yellow egg yolks. It's like you feed some chickens a bunch of marigold and all of a sudden these deep color egg yolks are are there. Like the nutritional differences are so minor that it's, you can make up that difference, like eat some fish and you're going to fix your omega-3, omega-6 situation. And you're, you know, you don't have to worry about like eating regular pork and that type of thing. Yeah. Don't get too worked up about some of those minor details when in right. the reality of the situation is if you're eating this way, you're probably going to be just fine. Your body can probably regulate just fine. Yeah. You mentioned something. This is a huge, um, it seems like it's even like controversial at this point in the community and its organs what is your feeling about organ meats? I know you said you don't eat them uh, and, and maybe, you know, I know this is Judy's you know baby yep. basically, but maybe we can comment on, on behalf of her of the things that she's learned about organ meats over time. Yeah. So, I mean, I didn't eat them at first because that sounds terrible. Like that sounds awful. <laughs> like I don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> uh, and that's honestly, I just didn't eat them for that reason. And I wasn't experiencing any health gaps. And so I didn't do that. And then, you know, 
through learning from Judy about the vitamin A toxicity and the overconsumption, I think we go through these cycles in the community where everybody was eating tons and tons of liver. And again, if your body is somebody who is metabolically healthy and you can tolerate a little bit of liver, then, and you think that's good, great. But like, I know too many people that are choking it down. Um, and you know, because they think it's this healthy superfood, I think from a, in my mind, right. Judy's the one who does the science stuff, but let's think about it realistically. If you're killing this giant animal and you're killing a mammoth or you're killing, um, uh, any kind of zebra, there's one liver versus how many hundreds of pounds of meat. And I think that like, it doesn't make sense from, if you want to talk about ancestrally, it doesn't make sense from that perspective that you would need like ounces and ounces of liver every day, because that wouldn't have been accessible, um, to, to people. And they're eating the majority of muscle meats. Um, I think that's part of it. I think, you know, you can really dig into a lot of Judy's content on vitamin A toxicity. If you see the people in the community who were eating tons and tons of liver and still eat lots of liver, you've noticed that they now incorporate a lot of fruit. And I think that's because they likely started feeling better incorporating all this fruit because they were getting too much vitamin A from all of the liver and a lot of the organs that they were eating in the first place. So I think that's something that I've observed from a, from an outside perspective, but I had no intention of eating it in the first place. And then once Judy said, you know, or like I learned more and she presented the research and the science behind it. Um, I was like feeling a little more vindicated about not having it in the first place, but, uh, it's definitely not something that was ever interesting to me. And I'm never going to just force myself to eat something that I don't like. Um, in order to stay healthy. I wish I had that mindset. I wish health was my number one goal overall. I wish I could say food is fuel and it doesn't, I just eat it to be healthy, but I'm not that person and I will never be that person. No, totally. I, it, it's so confusing with the people that I work with when I coach them on the carnivore diet, when they follow a certain somebody who's been in the world for a long time and it, we probably don't need to drop names, but you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know, they're, they're eating nose to tail and promoting nose to tail and everything has to be nose to tail and tons of organs and organ supplements was such a big thing. And now they have completely like switched their message and in including all these foods that they weren't including right. before. And, and it just for the, the, you know, standard listener, they, they get really confused. I, the messaging becomes really tough. And so I, I really love that approach. It's like you weren't eating organs when you were eating a really terrible diet anyway. Why would you kind of mix them in now when you're eating, you know, things like eggs, whole eggs probably has all of the same nutrients that you would need without the risk of that kind of toxicity. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that con this is where context and nuance matters so much where people sharing the message or sharing a lot of the fruit stuff, um, obviously how their health is and their context matters. But like, I also know for myself, I can't moderate those things, but I'm, you know, I definitely am the average overweight person who, um, it needs this to be enjoyable in order to lose weight. And so while sometimes that context is there from people sharing about fruits and, and organ meats and things, I think sometimes it's buried when it's more just like what I eat in a day. And I do think it causes a lot of confusion, even though there's like a little asterisk somewhere that says like, don't eat fruit if you're not metabolically healthy. Well, what's the average person who's scrolling through Instagram going to see is 
wow, this guy's, you know, an expert in this field and he's eating lots of meat and tons of fruit. Like I can do all those things too. And I, I get more messages than I, you know, it breaks my heart about the number of people who kind of just go off the rails with that. When the average overweight person who's looking to improve their health can't handle those types of things. That's right. And when that person decides they can eat fruit, they're going to eat, you know, not necessarily something that grew in their backyard. They're going to eat tons of bananas that were shipped who knows from where. And, and, you know, all this fruit that's been bred to have tons of sugar and that's out of context or they'll drink fruit juice, which is even like worse. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. People get really confused about that. I really love what you said about the proportionality of the organ meats to the, the, the rest of the animal. And it was a few weeks after you and Judy appeared on the carnivore cast podcast. That, that our, our mutual friend, who we absolutely love, Scott, um, hosted yes. Dr. Bill Schindler, who we've had on the show a few times. He made the exact same point. If you just look at an animal, that tells you how much organ meats you should be consuming. That's, right. If we killed an animal and we ate it, you might get a bite or two, and that's kind of about it if you're sharing it around with everybody else in the community, and everything else you get is going to be meat. And you can think about that the same way, and I thought that was a really, really good point. Yeah, absolutely. Thank. I mean, it's it makes sense to me when I heard it. It like clicked. I'm like, okay, well, this is again another reason why um, things would. I don't. I don't have to feel like I need to eat those things. <laughs> we, I probably wouldn't have anyway. Let's be honest. Yeah, right. I'm glad we feel vindicated. I mean, I was chopping up um, liver and like freezing it and trying to take these little cubes, and I never noticed a difference on how I felt when I was doing it or not. Right. So, yeah, glad that kind of clears the air there. Um, do you want to ask you also about fasting and probably a good time also to talk about the number of meals a day and things like snacking? How do you view some of those things and how has that opinion changed over time? So snacking for me has to be kind of a never thing. I mean, maybe if I'm on vacation, I kind of loosen up and like, I'll have a a little snack or we'll have like little appetizer trays or something between meals of like meat and cheeses. But snacking for me is never a good thing. I really abide by the Dr. Sives approach of like a snack is always an emotional event. I have that printed and stuck on my fridge for many years. I've turned that into a meme that I read. I have constantly reminder of. So for me, there's no snack that is ever derived from hunger. It is because of stress or boredom or some type of emotion that I'm experiencing. Um, and then I think, you know, fasting, I have always been a big believer in because I'm the average overweight person with high blood sugar who needs to regulate that. I need to regulate my appetite. This is another reason why I think we discuss a lot of fasting nuance on cutting against the grain because fasting is not great for Judy. She comes from a restrictive eating background. She was never, um, you know, overweight in that same way. She didn't have a lot of high blood sugar issues. So because of that, and because of her previous eating disorder issues, like it's not a good thing for her. Um, but it is, I truly believe it is the pillar along with carnivore without carnivore and fasting are kind of like the two pillars that I needed to get healthy. And I think without fasting still, I would gain tons of weight. I would have a lot of like carnivore for me isn't a fix without the regulation of fasting. Um, I think like anything you can do it too often and too hard. I did that. I think doing it too frequently, I got, kind of like, oh, it's working a little bit. So I need to do it more and it'll work more. And it doesn't work that way at all. From a fasting perspective, I kind of over fasted for a while along with over exercised at the same time and, um, struggled with some hormone issues kind of back at the end of 2019, which is again, part of the reason why I had to like chill out a little bit, uh, and, and find this new balance because I was just going too hard for too long. So I am truly a big believer, um, in a good 48 hour fast. It keeps my blood sugar regulated. It keeps my appetite regulated. It keeps my, it really keeps me in tune with my emotional and 
physical hunger cues. You realize how much you're not actually physically hungry sometimes, but you're just eating because it's your normal meal time. Um, and so I'm a big believer in that though. However, instead of doing it twice a week now, or even once a week, I'm doing it twice a month now, um, or just more of the occasional, if I think if I was doing like trying to lose a hundred pounds again, I would definitely be doing it more like once a week. Um, but I just think more than that and your body, your body needs time to eat in between. Um, and the alternate day fasting, especially for women and especially for older women is not helpful because I don't think that they can eat enough food during their meal times to sustain them into this rolling 48 hour fast. When I first came to this way of eating, I was used to eating this massive amount of food every day. And I could sit and eat easily two and a half, 2,500 calories in one sitting. Well, when you do that, then I don't need to eat again for like 36 hours or 48 hours. No problem. But now I can't do that. I can barely eat a thousand calories in one sitting sometimes. And so I have to incorporate two meals in my day or I end up under eating um, or I have to very strategically plan that one meal so that I'm not under eating. And I think that the most people can't eat enough food in one sitting to sustain them for that extended period of time. And so it's one thing to have an occasional fast when you're eating enough six days a week, and then you fast for a day, no big deal. But if you're trying to do these alternate day fasts and you're under eating on your food days, you're really going to destroy your metabolism. You're going to mess up your hormones. It's going to cause you a lot of hair loss. It's like all of those things. Like it's where too much is definitely not a good thing. Yeah. That's why, again, this conversation has so much nuance. I, I noticed yeah. that people start to feel a little colder in their hands and feet or they, you know, it, it, it's cool because it becomes this convenient thing. Like you can do OMAD one meal a day and it's like, wow, I have so much time. I don't have to think about food. I yes. don't have to prep food. I don't have to buy food. It's so much cheaper and easier to do, but, but you do end up taking it a little bit too far where you start to notice some of those other metabolic effects, um, which I absolutely love. I think, I think, uh, and I'll ask you like for travel, do you look at fasting as just like a tool that you can use, especially when you're like traveling, if you're, you know, running to catch a plane or, you know, you're going to only be able to eat, you know, airport food and plane food. Is that something you think about as like, well, this is a period of time when I can use that tool. Yeah, absolutely. Now that the mask day has been lifted, I don't feel like I have to nibble constantly on the plane. And so <laughs> I love going back to the fasting days. I went to New York uh, a couple weeks ago and I was like, this is a two flights, a super long day. I could bring my own food, obviously, which I do regularly, but I was like, Hey, this is a really good day to make sure this to do a fast. And so I just kind of skipped uh, eating that day. And I knew that was going to be an easier day for me to, to fast. So I do love having fasting days on travel days, but more than anything, fasting days are easiest for me when I'm um, super busy. If I'm just going to be home and working all day and I have a bunch of online meetings and break, like I, I'm going to go crazy and it's going to be really emotionally difficult for me. But if I'm like out and about and running around and like going straight from flying to grabbing my rental car, dropping my stuff at the hotel, going to the office for some meetings and I have like a work thing afterward, like I don't have time to eat. It actually makes it more convenient to do fasting in there as well. So um, with as much as I travel, I bring a lot of my own food. And then I also kind of plan ahead to make sure that I'm fasting the other difference. So I went to New York recently. I flew there on a Monday. I came home Wednesday. I knew I couldn't fast both of those days because that wasn't going to be enough food for me for, you know, like I was going to 
it was just was too much fasting too close together. So I, I planned to have food for one of those um, legs, but not the other one. It kind of makes it balance out. Yeah. I was going to say with, with, you know, knowing what your travel schedule is, you know, when you can fast and you know, also when you can make up those calories at a different time. So you don't see some of those negative effects of doing it too much. I love that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Current trends as far as fat and protein recommendations go in the community, this doesn't seem to be something that you get too worked up about and you get too, um, myopic about, but, but can you tell us a little bit about like what's going on in the carnivore community as far as fats and proteins and, and kind of what your take on it is? Yeah, we went through a high fat trend a couple of years ago where everybody was eating raw fats and raw suets and eating, sucking down raw egg yolks and just like doing this like 80 to 90% fat range. And uh, a lot of people gained weight from doing that when you're just eating nothing but fat. Like I understand fat doesn't make you fat, but like too much fat makes you fat. And we also started seeing a lot of women um, with their hair falling out because they weren't getting enough protein. I went through that you know, time when I first went keto, I was so concerned about keeping my keto fat macros really high and keep that. I ended up under eating protein for a period of time. And I experienced a lot of hair loss along with like rapid weight loss. So like those two things combined, I had a lot of hair loss and I was like, look a real bald for a while. Um, and it wasn't until I went carnivore and upped my protein that was necessary. So I do, I'm glad we're not there anymore. Right. Cause I think a lot of women were under eating protein, um, for that, during that trend. I think the problem now though, is that we've gone too far the other direction where people are so concerned about weight loss and eating high protein that we're now going to start seeing like hormone issues. We're going to start seeing some slot. We are seeing already satiety issues in women. Um, I think that women need adequate protein for, you know, muscles and for bone health and all of those things, but we also need some fat too. And I think this trend of like eating so many egg yolks, the, um, you know, I don't just so much high protein and so low fat. I think we're, we've turned the the knob too far the other direction. Um, and I think that is going to have to balance out for most people at some point soon. So I think, I think you can leverage you know, if you want to lose weight, you either need to leverage your fat and protein ratios, or you need to leverage your fasting windows. Again, for me, it comes back to like, I'm not going to enjoy living on chicken breast and egg whites. I'm not going to do it the same way. I'm not going to eat organ meats. I'm not going to do that either. And I'm not going to be able to stick to that personally. I need a little cheese in my diet. I need some, uh, I can't eat a lean steak without having like two tablespoons of butter on top of it. I'm at a filet kick right now where I love some filets, but like that thing is piled with butter. Um, and then I have some cheese for dessert afterwards. So I, because I'm somebody who can't not eat what I really enjoy, I leverage fasting for whatever I need to balance things out. I make sure I'm not eating more than twice a day. I incorporate a 48 hours occasionally. So you have to do one or the other, but, and obviously just because I need to be able to like have every meal be like my favorite meal. You know, I'm not going to live on, uh, on ground beef. I, I always say, but be, you know, because of that, I have to incorporate some fasting. So I'm concerned about kind of where the next step is for people who are kind of at this point eating like ground beef and lean chicken, uh, and where that leads them kind of from a satiety standpoint, I'm curious, like I'm where that's going to go. Um, at the end of the day, people have to find what works for them. I'm glad women are eating more protein, but I also think that like, we still need a decent amount of fat uh, in our diet 
And we don't want to turn that fat knob down too low. Yeah. It just has occurred to me as you were saying that, that to do either one of those two things, to go really high protein or to go really high fat, things you were mentioning, there were, there were some weird things. You have to drift into doing things that are a little bit weird or not normal. And like egg whites, why would I eat only one part of the egg, but not the other or the other way? Why would I eat a whole bunch of just suet fat or whatever? And it's like, if you can just eat the normal meats, the ones that you like, that you enjoy, that taste good, you're probably going to be okay. You probably don't need to, you know, calculate exactly how much protein and fat you're getting as long as you're eating, you know, normal meats that you would normally have and make them taste good. Yeah. And I think too, most women are, um, you know, my mom, for instance, like she can't eat a lot of volume in one day. She, you know, she does carnivore keto ish kind of somewhere in between, but she can't eat a lot of volume of meat. And if you're, I keep telling her, stop eating ground. You can't live on hamburger patties because she is under eating and it's causing her weight loss stalls. She has Hashimoto. So it's causing her thyroid issues. Like she's under eating because she's eating too lean of cuts. And so while, if you can't eat a lot of volume of food, you can't be eating stuff that's super lean because you're just not going to get enough calories in the day. And I think that currently the number one problem in the community for women is that they're under eating because they're trying to leverage their protein super high and their fat low, or they're trying to fast too much. And the fix for that is to do some reverse dieting to like eat more calories for a while and then reset that metabolic rate. Well, guess what? You're going to gain a little bit of weight at first. And the fear and the emotional anxiety behind that completely prevents them from doing it. And so then they just sit stuck where they can't lose weight. They can't under eat anymore. And they're feeling pretty terrible. Like there's just so many things that are happening because emotionally to reset yourself and have to like gain 10 pounds in order to like go backwards is just, it's too hard for most people. And I'm, I'm nervous about where they go after this, then do they go to try to be vegan or do they go to try to like do live on salads again? Or like, like what's next for them is, or try a juice fast. Like I'm concerned for what's next because I do think the majority of women, um, are under eating. Yeah. I see that all the time. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, and I like you, I wonder if that's going to be an issue in the next little while with people just again, throttling the diet way too hard, forcing fasting way too much, that kind of thing. I think it's a really nice. Yeah. I think I know that because I was there, I was doing it hard in 2019. There was nobody that was doing carnivore harder than me. I was doing it hard, like ribeyes and salt and water and exercise and fasting. And like, I was doing it the hardest that you could do. And I ended up too thin and which everybody thinks is like, Oh, it's such a problem. Like my hormones weren't working. Um, my hair was falling out. Like it was just too much. And I don't, I'm not as thin as I was then. Uh, I'm about 20 pounds heavier than my thinnest weight ever, but like, man, I'm so much healthier. My skin is healthier. My hormones are healthier. All my blood work is great. Like I'm so much healthier now than I was back then. Uh, and I think the problem too, is like people think I still have weight to lose. I'm not too thin. They're right, but they're still doing it essentially too hard where their body's not as healthy and they're still hanging on to all of that weight because their body's like scared of, you know, being restricted even more. It's, it's so fascinating because I've followed you for a long time and I've seen those pictures and seen, you know, your body change and evolve. I would have guessed you're 20 pounds lighter now. I think you look leaner now than you did then. So 
it's interesting how you know we put so much weight literally on the scale when yeah. it's so much more about everything that you talked about. Do, do I have a lot of energy? Am I vibrant? Do I enjoy my life? Do I you know enjoy the people around me? It's so much more important than whatever the scale says. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, that is, is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life to like not let that be my only indicator of what my goals and focus are on. It still is a daily struggle to like not obsess about the scale too much. But I think, you know, you just have to kind of focus on like, what am I doing? Am I doing the best that I can today? Am I eating enough today? Am I fueling my body today? And then just try to like give it time. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. I do want to talk to you also about carnivore long-term versus reintroducing carbohydrates, plant foods, what have you. How how do you think about those two things? Do you think carnivore should be done, you know, as a tool temporarily as a reset, and then people can go back to doing what they were before? Do they need to reintroduce things a little bit more slowly, or is it even safe to be carnivore for the rest of your life? I definitely think, I mean, I don't, I don't know about the rest of my life, I guess, because I haven't gotten there yet. And I'm not, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, but you know, if you would have asked, I, I posted this on Instagram recently about, I've been now carnivore for four years. And if you ask me now, if I'm going to be carnivore for another four years, like I still can't even say yes to you on that. Because to me, the thought of like doing this again for another four years, I'm like, oh, forget it. Let's just go eat some ice cream. Like I can't even commit to that. What I do know is that I'm healthier than I've ever been. I feel good. I'm eating food that I enjoy. And like, sometimes it just takes, sometimes I'm feeling great and I feel like I could do this forever. And other times, like I have cravings and emotional struggles and stress. And I'm like, okay, we just got to focus on today. Like we just have to get through today from a health perspective. I guess I don't see why not. Uh, I think it's important to check in, like to be carnivore, like what I'm doing now, if I can maintain my health, like I don't see why I couldn't do that forever. I know I will never be able to incorporate carbs and sugar moderately occasionally. Like those are not things I'm going to be able to eat within my diet on a regular basis. Um, mainly because I don't want the healthy ones. Like what, I guess whatever you consider healthy, like I don't want a sweet potato. Uh, I want McDonald's French fries. And so because of that, there's no like incorporation of like brown rice for me or whatever that might look like. I have no interest. Um, and I feel I would much rather just kind of eat meat and be in this place that I'm am in now. Um, I think it really so much of that then just depends on the person. I think we have to be honest with ourselves about what we can handle, what we can tolerate. I think unfortunately sometimes we're scared to like add things back in because we'll lose that label of like being a carnivore, and like we want this sense of community that we've found. And we think that we won't be a part of the carnivore club anymore if we have something else or if we're regularly eating a vegetable. Uh, and I think that's unfortunate. I think we, I don't, again, I don't miss vegetables and I do know that they negatively affect me from a digestive standpoint. Like I can't handle them. I have no interest in incorporating those things again. So I guess long-term it's like, for now, I just want to keep doing what I'm doing because I feel like this is the only way I'm able to mentally stay on track. My health is in a great place physically. Um, I'm kind of just planning on staying here for as long as I can. I am certainly not opposed to like adjusting based on my health needs in the future though. And I guess I don't know what that would look like. The reason why this has been so successful for me is because the foods that I can eat are not triggering and not, you know, I've kind of found this world I can be in where 
I'm enjoying everything I'm eating and it's not causing me to go off the rails. <laughs> That's great. I have heard of Dr. Sean Baker showing up at people's houses at, like with a lead pipe and like, you better, you better put that vegetable right. down or like you're out of the club for sure. They're going to take my badge away. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Now I, you, you just brought up something that is so important, which is just like, what are you doing now? I, I don't know what's going to happen in four years, but right. I do know what, presently what is going to happen and I'm not willing to feel terrible today or tomorrow. Yes. So I guess I'll just keep doing that same thing and just being willing to take that approach of like, you know, it's almost like the alcoholics of like, I'm, I'm just not going to drink today. Like, like don't worry yes. about, you know, 10 years in the future that will just, you know, give you so much anxiety. Just worry about what is working for you now and just keep doing that for as long as it works. That's great. I absolutely love yeah. that. And I think too, like I probably would have said like, oh yeah, I've been doing the same thing for the last four years, but I've, I think having some conversations, like I mentioned earlier, that woman messaged me and talked about how much I changed in the last two years. And that had me sitting and going like, oh yeah, I have, I have changed a lot. I think there's a new message in the community of like a hundred, there's nothing you have to be a hundred percent. Like what's holding you back is the one thing that you're, you know, hanging on to, whether it's your coffee or your diet soda or your ranch dressing or your, whatever those things are, your pickles, like, and that's kind of a new message. I've shared that message a lot. I have posts that really describe that exact thing that like, you have to be a hundred percent or you're not getting the benefits. And like, yeah, I'm not really there anymore. You know, I'm in this, like, I have to make it through today phase. I spent my time. I did my, I paid my dues. I spent my time in the hundred percent world. And now I'm figuring out like, how am I going to live this life forever? Like, how am I going to just make it through every day and stay on track? And I, I'm, you know, there's a, there's a balance in that as well. And, and I don't, I wouldn't have realized that, I guess, until somebody pointed out to me how much I've changed in the last couple of years. And now looking back on it and kind of comparing that to the other messages in the community, it's like, dang, yeah, okay, I see that. I see where I'm found like a balance right now. But sometimes I think when we talk about finding a balance, people think that that means like finding a balance between carnivore and cookies. When for me, it's like, what's a balance within the carnivore world or within like eating only meat? that I can live forever. Yeah, that's so well explained. I absolutely love that. And what a cool thing to say about yourself is that you have evolved, you have changed your mind. You're not saying exactly the same thing. I hope all of us are able to do that because if this is complicated and confusing and even the things that were working might not work in the future. And so to be able to be nimble and be able to change your mind, I think is something to be very proud of, which I absolutely love. You absolutely should be proud of your Instagram account, which we've already talked about. You should be proud of all the pictures you post of your delicious looking food. And you've got that giant smile on your face that you're about to like tear into a giant porterhouse or something. But there's one part of your Instagram that I absolutely love. And every time you do it, I watch it and I love it. What I order. Tell me how you started to get the idea for what I order, what it is and why you decided to do it. I mean, like with everything that I do, it kind of happened by accident because I, when I travel, which is pretty much every week, I go to Buffalo Wild Wings. Usually um, it's where it's, I know that their wings are cooked in tallow. They'll do their burger patties a la carte. Like it's just the greatest really? thing for me. Their yeah. wings are cooked in tallow? Their traditional wings are cooked in tallow. What? I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. So this is like when I travel, I try to avoid seed oils. So I go to, I do my best. And so I go to Buffalo Wild Wings. They are, they're like French fries and stuff are cooked in crappy oils, but they have a separate fryer for their traditional wings that's cooked in beef tallow, which Amazing. is why they taste good wow, too. Yeah. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. So I go there pretty much in every, and they're also like a really popular chain restaurant. They're in pretty much every city that I go to. And so I eat there so often 
um, that people, I was always posting pictures of it and people are like, how do you even order this? Like, how can they give it to you this way? Like the burger patties, all a cart and that kind of thing. So I was in like traveling, I was in Florida or something and just decided to like set up my camera and record me ordering it. And then I just posted it on Instagram and Um, it was popular, obviously with my crew, it was like, you know, they really loved it. And then like the Instagram algorithm weirdness happened and it got started getting suggested to like all of the people, like normal people in the world. And like, they definitely got very triggered by me ordering, um, burger patties or, you know, I also didn't realize back then too, I edited the video in a way that like cut out a lot of the small talk because I was just trying to like show the, what I order. And so me asking for like, oh, can I just have burger patties a la carte? And she's like, you know, didn't understand what I was saying. So I explained to the server, like you guys have a button, just push the button. Obviously the internet was very triggered by that, but somehow like it went over really well, I guess. More than anything, the feedback I got from my community was that it was very helpful to see that. And so I was like, oh, I do this in several restaurants. Like, let me just keep filming like where, how I order things. And so like I go to Texas Roadhouse and order a baked potato, loaded baked potato with no potato. <laughs> and like, I love that uh, where they bring, yeah, they bring you just like a little bowl of like butter and cheese and sour cream and bacon. And I'm like, this is amazing. So I don't know. It's kind of just one of those things where in 2018, 2019, I was traveling a lot for my job in the middle of my weight loss. And then even now throughout the last year, I've been traveling so much that I kind of have figured out a lot of little hacks at restaurants. Sometimes it's cheaper or at least to not get a bunch of junk, like at Olive Garden, like how do you avoid like all the pasta? So those are things that I've figured out where obviously I eat at, usually if I'm by myself traveling, I eat at Buffalo Wild Wings because it's the cleanest and it's the best option that I have. But I travel with other people sometimes and I don't have control over where we're going to go. And so a lot of times if I go to a Mexican restaurant, I just do the best that I can and ordering sides of fajita meat. Um, and they'll bring you just like a big plate full of those sides of meat. And so I don't know, it's been fun for me to kind of just show what I've figured out over the years and, uh, people seem to find it really helpful. It's so helpful. It's totally, totally helpful. I love how every video starts out with like one or two, like, you know, tidbits of information about the restaurant, like the IHOP one. I didn't know they put pancake batter in their omelets. I had no idea. So to be able to, and they're like normal scrambled eggs too. What? Yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. And then again, I think for most people who have tried this way of eating, they have tried to order something at a restaurant and it it becomes this fiasco. Like, you know, the 17 year old taking the order doesn't know exactly what buttons to push and what sub menu is like add an egg or five eggs or whatever. And so for you to actually do it and show people how to do it and how to make those orders, it's really practically helpful. I've, I've enjoyed that a lot. And more than anything, people have to find the context. Like some of the restaurants that I eat at are very clean and some of them are not. And like, if you really want to eat super clean, you know, and know everything, like when I was in New York, I had my job took me out to like a fancy restaurant and like that fancy, very expensive restaurant, which is not in my personal budget can do like a steak on a plate cooked in no oils and no seasoning. And it's like very clean. And you know, the butter is real butter, but like, that's not my life. I end up at Texas Roadhouse and Olive Garden more than I, you know, like what would care to on my own. And I can't eat in these very expensive steakhouses all the time. Um, so a lot of, I go to Chick-fil-A drive-through and like, I have to be able to order something or I need to get food when I can't afford to like go to something that's really expensive. Um, and so if the oils or the ingredients in the chipotle meat 
are not helpful for you. Like, yeah, don't eat there, but you also then may have to just like not eat or go find something else. Or I bring my own food a lot to avoid some of these things, but it's good to have options. Like if you end up in one of those places, it's good to have options. Yeah, for sure. I did the Chick-fil-A drive-through I thought was amazing to learn. Like the breakfast menu is the best one to order from. I, I had no idea about that. I'm curious, like you mentioned Texas roadhouse last time I was at Texas roadhouse and said that I wanted steak with no sides. I swear it was like a four minute conversation between me and the waiter that was like, well, what, well, what salad do you want? Well, no, I don't want a side. It's fine. Well, okay. But you want the rolls though, right? Like no, no, no sides. So a potato then? No sides, please. Like where where have you experienced like the most pushback or like awkward conversation? Is there one that stands out? Um, I mean, honestly, Texas Roadhouse is one because usually I try to ask for like, you know, or like just the steak by itself. And Texas Roadhouse is pretty adamant that they won't do the steak without um like with well, like a la carte, like you're paying the price of your meal is for the meat, and then you're paying the sides are all free, is kind of how they word it, so that they don't charge you less for not getting all the sides, which is why I've gotten more creative there. Um, about doing like the no potato, and then also you could do the, the salad with no with only the egg because this hard boiled egg comes on the salad, and so you could just get like a bowl full of egg, um, that type of thing. So in general, though, I will say this. I've never had like a really negative experience. Like usually I try to tell the server, like, here's what my goal is. How can I do this? Because they do know the menu. They know a lot of them know their a la carte options. Sometimes I'll ask questions like, well, can I get that a la carte? Do you have a way of like adding meat to that? Well, can I just get the added meat? You know, so I kind of have a way of having that conversation, but I've never had somebody be like, no, that's stupid. Like we can't do it. Like they might say like, we can't do that, but here's what we can do. But I've never had somebody be terrible or rude or, you know, upset about it in any way. And I always tip them very well, obviously, especially like, I mean, especially if I'm filming, I would tip them a lot because I would to thank them for letting me film while we're doing it. And I also make sure not to actually film the server. Like that's not, this is not some like thing where I'm trying to like catch the server or something like this is about just how I order and, and being appreciative to them. And I wouldn't want to film them you know, without them knowing it or sure. Anything. Sure. But, but seriously, like just knowing the word for word, like how to make these orders in a way that's simple for them and respects them. Yes. It's, it is incredibly helpful. Like the Chipotle thing. Like I didn't know that you could just go get what, what was it, a six ounce portion of meat on its yeah. own. And you got four of those, which is two meals, which means you got two meals for less than 10 bucks by ordering that way. Like that's great. Yeah. It's good food. Yeah. And- I know. And I've heard too, since then, like you always, I always get feedback when people go try it where a lot of people have had success doing it that way, but I guess there are some Chipotle's that are not doing it that way. So it kind of just depends on the restaurant. Uh, unfortunately you got it, but like, Hey, here's a way to go try it and see if it works for you. And like try a different Chipotle next time, if it doesn't work. <laughs> well, I love that. I seriously was thinking about how we can make just that one portion, an entire episode. I'm so glad we were able to cover so many other things. And I just, the way you approach this, I, I really love it. It's not complicated. It doesn't have to be, you know, you hitting the textbooks and understanding every randomized controlled trial that's done in nutrition. It's like, what, what is going to make you feel good? Feeling good today is a great indicator of feeling good tomorrow. You make this practical and approachable for people. And I just absolutely really love it. I know how busy you are and how much travel you're doing. So I'm just so grateful for the time that you took to be with us today. Where would you like people to go to find you and to connect with you and your work? Probably start with YouTube, but you can just look for Laura Spath on uh, YouTube is the best place. Um, I try to put, I know that's easier to like save videos and stuff on there than maybe Instagram, but obviously you mentioned Instagram earlier is great. And then 
Um, for more kind of conversations, discussing a lot of this context and nuance, you can check out Cutting Against the Grain podcast. Yeah, it's awesome. It's such a great podcast. I highly encourage the listener to go check it out. Um, as far as Instagram goes, uh, Judy spent some time in Instagram jail. <laughs> I didn't know that was she's a thing. She's still there. Is she there? Yeah, she's still there. I can't tag her. I tried to tag her um, in some things and it doesn't let me uh, tag her. So she's still stuck. That is so bizarre. I really thought all of that was fake when people started talking about it. Like, okay, you're just whining about it, but no, it's a very real thing. You really have to watch your step a little bit yeah there's a difference there is a way that people like can just think that they're shadow banned but like if you're actually in instagram jail like you know it pops up it doesn't let her go live it doesn't let her people can't tag her like that's the real thing wow uh, it's not like the shadow banned um wow. conspiracy or anything wow. like that like it's a so real crazy. thing <laughs> so crazy well we will link to your youtube and instagram in our show notes and laura spath thank you so very much again for making this so practical and approachable thank you for all that you're doing and again not just to do it with you and your family and see all the benefit, but to unselfishly share it around and help other people, I think is marvelous. So thank you so very much and for everything you do. Thank you for taking time to be on our show today. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. Love Abs- talking to you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. Thank you again so very much for continuing to listen to and support Boundless Body Radio. This little passion project that we started almost two years ago just continues to steadily grow. We are reaching more people than ever, and we keep receiving so many inspirational and amazing messages from you. We see it in all the reviews that we get, and we really appreciate that. So thank you so very much for that. We love understanding which guests you really connect with and which content you really appreciate the most. We wanted to take a second also to give a huge shout out to our amazing guests. We love the people that we've been able to host and all their amazing content in these awesome conversations. And we have to say in the pipeline, we already have lots of great episodes that will be coming to you soon and lots of great guests. Some will be new to the show and others will be familiar to you if you have been listening to our show for a while. So look forward to that on our website, which is myboundlessbody.com. We are still running a lot of the same offers that we have been running for the last few months. These offers are complimentary and we've really had a great time connecting with people all over the world who are taking advantage of these. So if you go to our website, which again is myboundlessbody.com, on the main page, you'll find a button that says book now. You can book either a functional movement screen, which is a movement screening tool used to evaluate movement patterns to optimize mobility, fitness, and injury prevention, We do that virtually through Zoom with a bit of creativity. You can book that session, which takes about 30 minutes and is complimentary. You can also see another booking for a 30-minute consultation with us where we can really chat about anything that you like. We can talk about fitness or nutrition or help you come up with a plan for you to be able to reach your goals. As always, it really helps us grow if you leave us a rating and review. So please be sure to go to Apple, leave us a five-star rating and review. And thank you, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio.